Hey, Elliot. Hey, Brian. What's the talk of the table? Today is our second special Zine Month episode featuring two designers putting out some interesting adventures and supplements. They are Lola Johnson with The Tower and Nico McDougal with The Hauntings of Hyde Park. Hello and welcome back to Talk of the Table. Today, Ellie and I are joined by Lola Johnson to discuss their Zine Month project, The Tower. Lola, welcome to the show. Welcome. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting to be yeah, here. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. It's good to have you. It's It's been really fun. This is the, the third or fourth interview we've done canonically from our end, and it's been really exciting to talk about a bunch of Zine Month projects, so I'm excited to just like get back in the chair and, and keep keep plugging away at these. They're, they're a lot of fun. Ooh. I'm excited to hear them. We've been describing Zine Month as kind of like the buffet month of games where you just get to try out all new little things. Uh, and it's very fun. Yes. I I may be running a project for crowdfunding, but I also expect that I will be spending quite a bit this month. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you run a project is so you can make money to spend on the yeah, on the other games, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, somehow all of Zine Month is a wash in the end. No one actually <laughs> makes any money. <laughs> As part of the community, I've seen a lot of other projects that people are sharing and I'm like, oh, I'm pre-saving that one and that one and that, oh my God, that's such a great idea. <laughs> when Elliot suggested that we do a big Zine Month thing for Talk at the Table, like interview a bunch of designers, I was like, great, that's gonna, this, this is going to be very fun. I'm, I'm excited to do it. And now I'm realizing, oh, God, I don't have the money to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a shopping list exercise as well. Yeah, it's really what it is. Lola, to start us off, can you give us the elevator pitch for your project? What is it and what are you trying to fund? So, the tower is a fantastical tower home to a puzzling recluse. Maybe you're invited. Maybe you just woke up here. Either way, now you have to escape. The tower is a system agnostic puzzle dungeon crawl with puzzles, riddles, creatures of the tower, and items to give it. And one of the big things about it is that it's very adaptable. You can randomize your play so that the rooms that you run will not be the same between playthrough to playthrough. And there are different ways of finishing off each game so that you can vary how many rooms you put into any playthrough. So it could be played as a one shot, a couple of sessions or within a longer campaign. Love that. Before we dive into specifics of this, uh, what do you call this a supplement? Adventure. Adventure. There we go. That's the word. Or is it a set of adventures? So it's one adventure, I would say overall, but it could stretch out into a longer series of sessions because it's it's all focused on one tower so before we dive deeper into the specifics of the tower and the crowdfunding campaign we have a question we've been asking all the designers on here they might throw you through a bit of a loop but kind of bear with us a little bit and it's what is your design ethos like what are your fundamental principles as a game designer oh no and we found that this is an interesting question to start because it kind of lends a lot of context to everything we're going to talk about after this Oh no. So <laughs> how much the, the tower itself fits my design principles? I don't know. No. Um, when I design a game, especially if I'm designing something that has its own encapsulated symptom or something, my goal is to write games that radicalize people, that cause them to want to challenge the status quo to envision kinder worlds and build community. Hell so that's yeah. My, <laughs> Easily the that's, best answer we've gotten this It's far. a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what I want to do with my games. I think the ways that might sort of seep into this adventure, this set of rooms and such, is encouraging working together and promoting different styles of play, as well as just bringing together the opportunity for people to either online or sit around a table and get together and spend that dedicated time with each other, which is a big part of community building. That's that's very fun. I'm also, I, I guess I'm curious with the tower specifically, are there any sort of touchstones or inspirations for this? Or is this sort of something that just came to you in the middle of the night in a flash of lightning or something? So the original idea developed because I wanted something to run for my friends in like a literally 
around a table <laughs> at a holiday feast. So it was originally called the Testing Feast and run for D&D. Like way back in the before times, literally uh, holidays 2019. <laughs> a long forgotten age. <laughs> exactly. So I don't completely remember what prompted me to write this exact thing other than the fact that I was like, it's something that we can do whilst coming together is slightly food related or at the time it was. The tower is kind of separated from that quite a bit now. However, I just love, I love incorporating puzzles. I know that puzzles aren't necessarily something that connects for everyone or some people struggle with solving puzzles. So I wanted to do it in such a way that allowed for people to kind of explore different methods of solving puzzles a little bit and exploring different types of puzzles within one thing. So each of the rooms incorporates slightly different things. Like in some cases you've got poetry, in other cases you've got more physical experimentation in character. And what does this being system agnostic kind of allow you to do that being in a specific system wouldn't? Like what's the what's sort of the benefit of making a system agnostic adventure for this sort of for the tower? So I feel with the system agnostic nature of it is very much saying you could run it in a crunchy system like D&D or Pathfinder if you want to get really granular and be like okay, well, the players that I have or the kind of game or campaign that I have is more focused on if we're not getting it, roll and would my character get this kind of thing versus say playing an inquest, which is a much more narrative focused system that lets you play around with different things and maybe do it more in character with less kind of roll for success type situation. But I think that's one of the benefits is being able to move it for any system to slot it in in something that you're already playing with. One of the uh, the questions I was like asking about projects like this is that whenever I've made something, there's always like a secret thing that is my favorite thing. Whether or not it's the best thing or it's the thing that most people will recognize, it's my favorite thing. I'm curious, for the tower, do you have a favorite thing you can point to of like, this is the best part of this game? Whether anyone else thinks so or not, I know this is the best part of this game or this uh, adventure. Hmm. All of it is basically me just celebrating being a little nerd. So, (laughs) (laughs) perfect. (laughs) Like some rooms, I'm very much like, okay, I know that maybe people won't be as like dirty about it as me, but like one of them, one of the puzzles is very much focused on CYMK. The the color space, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. It's focused around that. For me, it, it connects very closely to that because I know what I was thinking in terms of writing it. But it's set within an arcane laboratory. So it's people more, may not necessarily see that connect at the same time. But And also the room that I'm rewriting because my autistic brain kind of went, I like this, but I also want to write a creature for this. And if I can't, if I'm going to write a creature for it, then I should really change this because it works better with creatures that already exist. No, I'm going to change the entire puzzle so that I could write a new creature. (laughs) And so now I have one of the rooms, which is an aviary, which is, um, which is pretty fun. Nice. Love an aviary. I'm curious. This is something like from my, for me, I love puzzles and like riddles and such, and I like solving them. I struggle to imagine the writing of them. And I'm curious about kind of like what your what your process is when you like approach like writing a puzzle or writing a riddle. Like how does that, how do you go about that? In some aspects, it's borrowing from stuff that's already out there or something that's in the lexicon and then visualizing how I can adapt that to a more of a play aspect. So whether that's, oh, okay, this is the basic riddle, I'm then going to make it physical in how it's presented within the game. Or if it's just like, I have I have these loose ideas or loose threads of ideas that I'm just kind of pulling down and trying to tie together. Like, oh, in one, there's something that turns some, like beings to stone, right? What does that look like? Am I going down the very traditional route of 
you've got gorgons and cockatrice, you've got basilisk, all of those things that are in creatures in folklore. Or am I going for something really abstract, which doesn't technically paralyze people, but is like, oh, the um, blue-capped ifrit related, which is this um, bird that if you touch it, could kill you. Mm. <laughs> because... oh, like a real bird that if you touch it, could kill you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. What? yeah um so it's a bird that primarily eats like it it eats lots of bugs and beetles that are quite poisonous and that gets secreted through its feathers it's a way of it keeping um predators away and so and i'm like that's such a metal bird that's great right birds rule like what it secretes is a bit of a paralytic as well and i was like Mm. that could be cool to introduce something that is touch based and having to work that out based on like the clues within given within the puzzle to the players also then you get to like not you get to kind of not that I, I, I'm not one for like really caring about metagaming as a concept, but you get to like surprise players, like, you know, with something mm-hmm. like that versus like a player probably knows the mythology around a Gorgon or a Cockatrice or a Basilisk, but a, a player will approach this bird and not necessarily know that like not touching it is uh, is the key. And that's great. And also just like, I love a stranger than fiction, like biology moment. That's so cool. I'm, what was the name of that bird again? Blue capped Ifrit. Blue capped Ifrit. Very cool. I also I also really love the it, this is a concept I'd never really thought of, but it's a great hack for puzzles of like taking a simple or well-known puzzles but making it physical. Mm-hmm. So like I think I feel like there are certain puzzles or riddles that people have heard before, but if you just present them in a very novel way or in a very physical way, you understand the puzzle, but you have to do the translation process kind of in your head from like this physical space to this okay, now I know what it sounds like when it's said, kind of. Yeah, and I think the mixture of stuff, like a little bit a, a little bit of stuff that is kind of out there in the general lexicon and stuff that I have created or worked on and put in, I think that makes it quite accessible because there might be stuff that is... That, there's a way of playing it on easy, for example, if there's stuff in the general lexicon because then people may have already heard something similar and then be like, okay, okay, I I get what's happening. How can I translate that into my character, knowing or working it out? In in the way that it's related to accessibility with puzzles, I think it was very much creating something that can be approached from lots of different ways and lots of levels, because especially something that I have found throughout my life is that the way that I approach things or interpret things is very different because I have a neurodivergent brain. So allowing for lots of different avenues or ways to come into something, I think that's really important to providing that accessibility for different brains as well as just different styles of play. There's less stumbling blocks on having to solve the puzzle yourself, especially if you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't like puzzles that much. If you don't like puzzles that much, I'm not sure why your GM is running it, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why they picked up the puzzle book for you guys, but, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I like to try and take into account that not everyone will be amazing at puzzles, so there are different ways of coming at it so that you you can still have fun. Love that. So kind of getting into the zine month of it all, where are you funding the tower, and, and, and why zine month for you? I'm funding the tower on Kickstarter because I, I've done a previous Kickstarter, which was for a knitting pattern book, which cool. is part of my other <laughs> other work life. Zine month, because it's, ju- it's, it's just such a cool idea of a bunch of people all over the world working to create and put out little games of their own or adventures or just TTRP. I think it's a fun celebration of tabletop role-playing games and of course, it doesn't necessarily need to be related to DTRPG, but um, it's. It, I think it's just something that is quite fun and community focused, which is, of course, something that I am already about. So I like that kind of spirit being evoked, and I just wanted to dive in 
and say, yeah, let's do it. Let's be part of this. Also because I want more people to see my games. I've published other games as well on itch.io and I've been playing TTRPGs for years. Some on stream, some just in home games. And I just, I love that sharing. So getting to be part of something like Zine Month where there are lots of other people doing it and there are servers and like community spaces to join in and interact with people. Very cool. Also, I do quite like filling my own shelves. So <laughs> as we said already. Same here. <laughs> no, it is it is really the the buffet month of gaming. You just get to see what all the little like fun stuff that people are working on. You get to like do the little samples of the weird stuff. Cause most of the rest of the year you're it's like you're getting big meals of TTRPGs. Yeah. You're, you're getting like the big books, something. Seed month is the time you get to try the 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 spicy food that is a little too spicy for you usual or or the the weird soup or you know yeah the weird soup. I think it's also one of the things that's a a measure of how social media is working at the moment and now is that Zine Month fortunately has the benefit of bringing everything together so that it's very it's easier to find a lot of it especially if people are taking part in weather zine month and also on different platforms like crowd crowdfunder with tabletop non-stop and everything because they're pro promoting all of those projects mm -hmm. so i think it's much easier to find newer and different different creators during this month as well because of the collective focus on putting them in front of people and I think we're losing a lot of that in social media because of the way that algorithms work with the way that they're run by people and mm. we were just having a conversation last night with another game designer who was saying something that really latched on to me that there is also a like strength in numbers kind of of like it's it's easier to move in a pack so I feel like there are a lot of games during scene month that would not have gotten made if there weren't so many games getting made. And just like the ability to have that community kind of push push behind you and the ability to kind of like put a thing out there that I feel like Zine Month is a way, is a time that allows more people to be like more vulnerable with like the small little gem of a game yeah. that they have an idea for. And it's a time where the community really celebrates and like uplifts that moment, which is really fun. Yeah, 100%. And then uh, as far as Kickstarter goes, when does it start? When does it run to? And what can people get at the various tiers of rewards if they back the project? It launched on the 1st of February and it will be out there and available to fund or back until the 1st of March. I've gone for a longer crowdfunding period because I really wanted the time to talk about all of the little random things in it and be able to show people the um, prints when they come in because of some delays and also storms in Scotland. <laughs> the, um, the prints have been a bit delayed in turning up to me so that I can show them in the Kickstarter. So I just wanted to give a little bit more time and space for that. Um, the things that you can get are, well, the reward tiers. I quite like the names that I've given each of my reward tiers. Oh, hit it. The first one, <laughs> a digital dungeon, which gets you a PDF copy of the tower. A tower you can touch, which gets you a throwable, catchable, well, hopefully catchable, <laughs> copy, physical copy of the tower. A print to ponder, a tower tome, which is a physical copy of the tower, and as well as the digital stretch goals and the PDF but also a reprint of the tower cover art. All of the art and the layout is going to be done by Nala J. Wu, who is really awesome incredibly artist talented. and illustrator. Yeah. yeah, incredibly talented. So that's very cool. I get to work with them. Then you've got the Sword You Looted, Dungeon Conquered, which gets you a physical copy of the tower, the PDF copy of the tower, and the looted sword keyring, which is art that I'm doing. So <laughs> I'm not as cool as Nana, but I, oh, I'm don't tell quite enjoying sure. it. <laughs> I, I think we, and I'm sure Nala would also disagree. So. <laughs> and wait, keyring, uh, is that a physical keyring? Yes. Yes, oh, exciting! So um, Brian and I love a love a tchotchke, love a knickknack, love a little piece of ephemera that you can get with a game. 
Yeah, I've I've been getting really into designing key rings and various things, especially TTRPG related ones. So I'm showing you this, but obviously it's not something that is really gonna be oh, seen. This is one you've made. People. Yeah. Oh, that's very oh, cool. Very cool. Right? Dear and listener, I, I can tell you it's very cool. <laughs> and then there's this one. Is there somewhere we can link these for people in the show notes so they can check these out? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, they are both on my yarn website and my Etsy. So thirdvaultyarns.com. Hell yeah. We'll, we'll link those in the show notes. Yeah. So things like that. I've been I've been spending time messing about and designing charms because I really love playing around with art and apparently I have to make every hobby that I have my job. Uh, yeah, life. Sam. <laughs> you're, you're talking to podcasters. Yeah, you're talking to podcasters. There's no greater sin. <laughs> yes, so um, that's the looted sword key ring will be like a physical key ring. It's a double-sided two-inch acrylic charm and made by the same people. So designed by me and produced by Zap Creatives in the UK. And the final tier is Towers Tumbled Looted Swords and Prints. And that gets you pretty much all of the things. Plus physical stretch goals and uh, digital stretch goals. We love it. So those are rewards. The stretch goals are three more rooms. Art for all of the rooms and creature and item art by Nala. So, love a stretch love- goal that's just more good stuff. Sorry, yes. were you going to say the same thing? Brian? I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Great minds. So you mentioned that Nala is working with you on the team. I'm curious if one of the things that I feel like is true about Zine Month is that people find like you know, mentors either in like an official or unofficial way or like, or just like friends giving them great advice. Like, is there any sort of like great advice you've been given or like lessons you've learned from people in this process? And also, is this your first scene month? This is my first scene month. And I would say, yeah, I've I've had some really great advice from a lot of the friends that I've connected to that are also very well embedded within the TTRPG space. And a little shout out for uh, Alicia Kills on various socials has been great at giving me advice <laughs> and looking over the Kickstarter. Navar Jackson, I believe as well, who uh, created the corrupted. Yeah. Yeah. Like really great advice and feedback. And yeah, so it's like no one specific mentor, but definitely in community. Any piece of advice that you've gotten that you feel like was like huge. Don't undersell yourself. Or it could be small, but was like a turning point. Yeah, don't undersell yourself. That's good. That one I still struggle with, but um, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. We all do that. Yeah, we all. I'm great at telling people not to undersell themselves, bad at not underselling myself. So, Lola, our final question that we like to ask all our guests is, uh, what are you bringing to the table? And this is a a recommendation to our listeners. And specifically for Zine Month, we would lo- we've been asking people to shout out uh, another Zine Month project or multiple. Some people have wanted to shout out multiple that you would uh, recommend our listeners check out. Okay, so I I have far too many like projects that I would love to shout out. One of them isn't actually technically a Zine Month thing, but it is being crowdfunded um, in the same period of time, which is Girlfriend of the Week by um, Gwendolyn Kelly and Alicia Kills. Um, it's it's funding for the AP for the TTRPG Girlfriend of the Week that they created. Oh, cool. So um, that is also going live over February. Other than that, there's Gut Gun because Grace has been wonderful in working with me. Like we've been working together on trying to get our projects together. And and so Grace Lewis is also going to be kickstarting Gut Gun this month. Godspark was one that I looked at and I was like, oh, oh, you get to play an angel that is trying to gain Godspark. So basically eating God sparks off the bodies of dead gods to wow. <laughs> to ascend. And 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 I'm like, ha, huh, that's fun. That sounds within my interests. <laughs> as no. just a general thing. So there are as I said, there are a lot of games that I've looked at and been like, yes, me, mine. I I've got to have this one. Uh, I think 
a general recommendation, read more poetry. Mm. Ooh, I'll second that. Poetry is is it's poetry great. Poetry is good. Read more poetry, write more poetry, write more poetry as well. Do not be caught up in thinking that you have to like adhere to very specific rules. Poetry is a beautiful way of putting words together to help you think about things and process things and just get everything onto paper in a way that you can either let go of it or share it. And I'm a big um, of things, like I also like writing semi-keepsake games. Maybe I will write a game in some at some point that makes you write poetry that you can decide what you want to do with it later but actually just this just sparked a thing in me that i feel like people would like i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna take this over i'm gonna shout out some poetry that i really like and it's natalie diaz and ada limon two fantastic american poets ada limon's now the u.s poet laureate but they did a series for the new yorker like five or six years ago now uh called letters of air where they sent letters back and forth in the form of poems mm. and it was fucking beautiful it was so good i loved it it like sparked a whole love of it sparked a whole shelf on my bookshelf of poetry so sounds more like I can a tell TTRPG also it does yeah. kind of sound like a TTRPG. <laughs> <laughs> an epistolary uh yeah that's epistolary awesome. poetry game i think also my big thing with uh, poetry is is not just kind of going for stuff that is very specifically around you but also exploring poetry from different cultures and Specific, very specifically cultures that are also not your own because it's a really, really great way of putting yourself at a, at a different perspective and like trying to see through and from that perspective as well. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Lola, thank you so much for, for coming to the table today. Do you want to let people know where they can find you and one more time where they can find The Tower this scene month? The Tower, a system agnostic puzzle dungeon crawl is available on Kickstarter. Me, you can find at johnsonofair.itch.io for all my games. If you are interested in yarn and knitting patterns, you can, f oh, and also charms. <laughs> also charms, uh, thirdvaultyarns.com. And that's vault as in bank vault. And we will be linking Third Vault Yarns already because of the, the charms. And now again, for, for yarn stuff. Lola, thank you so much for coming to the table. Best of luck on the Kickstarter for the tower. I hope it is a big smashing success. I hope you get all your stretch goals and we get an even bigger tower. Best of luck. Bye-bye. Bye. The 80s are over. And you're not kids anymore. Now is a much darker time. Something happened to you and you got touched by the weird and it made you wild and it made you powerful. This is the world of The Lost Bay, a suburban gothic RPG. A fever dream set in 1990X and inspired in equal parts by dark fantasy, horror classics, and the 90s indie culture. After years of development, and thanks to the feedback and support of a community of early enthusiasts, The Lost Bay is coming to Kickstarter Featuring a full rulebook and complete setting designed by Eco, kick-ass art by Evangeline Gallagher, killer maps by Strega Wolf Vandenberg, and six additional modules by some of the coolest designers in the indie scene. So go to thelostbayrpg.com to be notified on launch. That's thelostbayrpg.com. And welcome back to Talk of the Table. Today, Brian and I are joined by Nico McDougall to discuss their project, The Hauntings of Hyde Park, a supplement for the between. Nico, welcome to Talk of the Table. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to talk about anything related to the between because I Ooh, like okay. just discovered it pretty recently. I was reading through it and it is very cool. Mm -hmm, absolutely. <laughs> very, very cool. So to start us off, could you just give us the elevator pitch for this project? Absolutely, yes. So The Hauntings of Hyde Park is essentially an unofficial season, uh, quote-unquote, for The Between. That's the term that The Gauntlet has used for what they've published as like support for The Between in the past. 
each season that they've published basically has a playbook, a mastermind, several threats, and sometimes a few unseens. And that's basically what I've done here. Those all of mine are loosely based around London's Hyde Park, which is this like incredible green space in I can't say whether it's in the center of London or not, because I'm not honestly that familiar with London, but it's like near the Tower of London. It's also cl relatively close to like, I think, the Parliament and Buckingham Palace. It's near Kensington Gardens, which has also Kensington Palace, which is like another residency for the crown. Biggest landowners in the in the United Kingdom. Like, <laughs> what are they? What are they not? They used to own Hyde Park, and then they turned it over to. Uh, then they turned it over to the city. So one of the questions we're asking everybody who's coming on, and this kind of helps us inform the rest of the conversation, is from your perspective, what is kind of your design ethos as a game designer? What's that sort of north star, that guiding light when you're when you're designing a game, or in this case, designing a supplement? Oh, good question. I would probably say that my sort of guiding light is. It's probably just as simple as like trying to provide the trying to provide the trying to give the players like as many interesting decisions to make as they can, you know, and I, I, I think that's a pretty basic thing on some level. But like it has even in this project, I think it has resulted in some times of like there have been times when I've taken something out where I'm like, oh, like, I think I wrote this really well or like I think this turn of phrase is good or like this character is interesting or whatever. And I've like taken stuff out or changed things because I'm like, oh, but I think that's more of like a thing that's cool for me as the writer <laughs> and you know, the person who's like thinking about it and putting it together and less so like just, you know, not uninteresting, but like less interesting. I like I think I could by taking it out, I can tighten it up and make it better or by changing it, I can make it sort of more player facing and like that's some like give them more interesting decisions rather than like have something be fully decided from the jump i do like what you said that because you, you preface that by saying it's it may seem basic but like fundamentals are fundamental for a reason if you nail the basics that has a ripple effect down the line and i think just acknowledging that you're actively thinking of the player and you're actually thinking of like making that experience as immersive and as as multi-branched as possible, I think immediately says like, great, I know, I know I'm in good hands from the get-go because that question is front of mind. Yeah. And there's somebody who once talked about how like, I, I can't remember who to attribute this to, but <clears throat> there was somebody who once talked about how games as an art are using agency as the medium of the art that you're creating. Like you are working with agency like a painter works with paint. Um, and I feel like, that's kind of what you're getting at here with decisions is like decisions are like the action of enacting player agency. So I, I like that. I love that, that that's your focus. And ultimately, I mean, it is still sort of like it is, of course, still being filtered through like basically always try thinking about it in terms of like, well, like what would I find interesting? Right. Like what kind of decisions am I interested in making? But I don't know. I'm only me. I can't really <laughs> not 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 very easy to sort of get out of that particular sort of i don't know headspace i guess but yeah i think i am sort of i'm trying to keep the player in mind but ultimately on some level like also my imagined player you know it's not like the exact same person as me but like i am only able to think of it in terms of like like well what kind of decision would i like to make and kind of rolling with that trying to stick to that instinct i think i don't know i'm only me is a great great sentence <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's true like you know you only know what you know. You don't know what you don't know. So getting into this this specific zine you're making, I want to know why the between was the right choice for this for this project. Why why is this the system that you that you chose? Good question. I, I mean, I, it basically came out of the between. Like this project did not really exist before I was sort of like reading and like playing the between. So yeah, I mean, it's it's basically all of the sort of ideas kind of came out of. Yeah, so so like reading and playing. So I've I've played quite a few of the of the like carved from Brindlewood games. You know, like Brindlewood Bay, The Between. I even played a little bit of the Silt Verses. Like they're sort of their newest game. I really like them. And The Between. I don't know. There's something about it that was just like really fun. It was like very you know like the sort of the subjects like the just like the vibe of like monster hunting in Victorian London is like really interesting. It's like it's such a it's a fascinating like 
time period in history. And I can't say that I exactly like had like a huge interest in it before this, but like the, but the project basically came out of like, so I was kind of like, Oh, I'm interested in just like in like doing something, writing something for the between. And actually I think funnily enough, the first thing that probably came out of it, the first thing I wrote for it would have been the playbook, which is now called the dispossessed. It was originally called the alien, and then even at the time, but over time, I was like, that's way too close to like the existing official playbook, The Martian. I think I'm exploring different things, like I'm exploring different themes and sort of ideas and stuff from that playbook that The the Martian, which I'm pretty sure is written by Jason Cordova, is very sort of like gonzo. It's very it's clearly very heavily influenced by like Superman. You know, it's like you're like you live on Earth and you don't know that you're an alien. Um, and then you discover you have these like wild powers. And then the dispossessed is sort of taking it from the opposite angle of like of like you are coming like you are stranded here on Earth and you know you're an alien. And like that's a problem for you. Like you maybe don't want that. Maybe you do want to get home. Maybe you don't want to get home. And so that was kind of like the first place that it came. And then for some reason, I was very taken by the idea of like, <laughs> like UFO abductions in Victorian times. I was like doing some just a little bit of like historical, like looking at that and somehow came across Hyde Park and was like, well, let me actually. And like, I think I can make a whole, I don't know, yeah, a whole zine, a whole like set of content, a whole set of materials for this. And centering around Hyde Park just felt like, I don't know, weirdly the right thing. It's this big, much like Central Park for New York. It's like New York City. It's like this big, just green space in the middle of a very industrial and urban setting. And there's just like all sorts of like weird stuff going on with it. There's some fun like mystery and wonder to that. When you're in the middle of greenery, but you can kind of like look over the treetops half a mile away and see skyscrapers. Like, it's just a little weird. Well, and then, and uh, so it's like in, I discovered that Kensington Gardens, which is like, it's basically also Hyde Park, but it's like kind of separate. It's like Kensington Gardens was the inspiration for like the Peter Pan stories, like, like uh, J.M. Barry, I want to say the author's name, like the author, like there was some kind of like poem or something like that about like, uh, like about like, a, like, kids getting lost in Kensington Park or something like that, like directly inspired Peter Pan. And I don't know. Yeah. It's just like a, it's just, I don't know. It's a fascinating (laughs) place to me. (laughs) I love the kind of in hearing you talk about this, that you can hear that you've done a bunch of research for this project. It seems like, like you kind of dug into a little bit of the history of Hyde Park and some of the details. Like, I'm curious, like what about incorporating some of those, like that real history and stuff is like interesting to you as a designer? Like where does that, your sort of impulse for that come from? Um, well, honestly, I think it comes from me being so in, in uh, my day job, I work for a university biology department and I like studied biology in undergrad. I, I went to grad school I actually started a PhD in biology and then mastered out because it was just not really for me. But that sort of ethos of like of research and like of sort of like doing the work and just I don't know, I love reading. So like (laughs) doing that kind of work feels very natural to me. I just want to jump in real quick. So I've never heard anyone put down a master's degree by saying I mastered out of it <laughs> like, to, to doubt. I've never heard someone so effectively downplay a master's degree. I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, it's a yeah, master's it's degree. just, but it, I, I got to tell you, it feels, it feels <laughs> weird when you go in ex- like thinking you're going to get a PhD and then you're like, oh, I guess I left with only a master's degree. It's like, I'm certainly not <laughs> trying to put it down. I guess I'm just mastering out. That's. That really literally. I mean, that's what it's called. Like, <laughs> no, yeah, I, that's, I'd never heard that phrase before. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, I most I, I let me tell you, most people, most people who who I think go into a Ph.D. program do hear that term because people talk about it as an option for good reason. If you like uh, you don't have to leave this in by any means. But, you know, if anyone's pursuing a Ph.D., you can always leave. It's always an option. No, we'll leave that in. Yeah. I don't know who Honestly, needs to hear this, but you're not happy you in your leave. PhD program. Yeah, leave. <laughs> Master out. Literally. <laughs> Master out, baby. Master out. I did want to talk about an aspect of this game because the between had has a mechanic in it that I'd never seen before and I really liked, especially in my head when I'm thinking about actual plays, and that is the unseen. Because I think 
people if you have if you haven't read the between you can probably guess about like what a playbook is what a mastermind is you understand what threats are an unseen is something that's very specific to this system can you break down for us what an unseen is and kind of what you brought to it with your four additional unseens in this supplement absolutely yeah so unseen for anyone who has never seen the word <laughs> with their eyes is is spelled u n s c e n e so like like the opposite of a scene like in a dramatic sense and it's used during the night phase of the between um, and the between has distinct it's like dawn day dusk night phases that you pass through and it's it breaks up it's like a it's like a, a little vignette essentially it's like breaks up four steps basically and it breaks up the action of the night scene with things that are just like happening somewhere else in the city happening somewhere else in london or even sometimes like completely else in the world or on a different planet if you're playing with the venusian mastermind gizad his name is i think and are, and are also explicitly like non sequiturs like they're not related to the main plot right yeah they're explicitly non sequiturs there is a way to tie them in thematically um one of the ways you can get experience as a characters like it's uh, it's like did you experience an echo in the night and that's like if you do something i guess typically during the night phase that sort of has some kind of resonance somatic or content wise or whatever with the unseen like you can get an experience point from that that's not like really the point it's just sort of i guess an incentive to kind of like tie it tie it all in and it's really interesting too because this is actually a little bit of like uh not i don't know how how to because it's not the word is not bone to pick, but like I have a, I have, a, I have actually a little bit of a difference of opinion of from presumably Jason, but at least the 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 text of the game in terms of the purpose that the unseens serve and and what what it says in the game book is that like oh the the unseen is what helps make the game like cinematic or whatever, which is a term that I don't particularly love in games. I don't think it makes all that much sense. But like, even in this context, it feels like it doesn't make it cinematic because like you are just cutting to this like complete non sequitur, this like other thing. And it actually, in my mind, sort of could take away from the like, I don't know, ongoing action or whatever. I don't think it's poorly designed. I just don't necessarily agree with like what they think it does. But what I feel like it does, which is something that I really like when games do, whether like in the rules or just when I play them is like really making the world feel real, feel like a real place with real people in it. And that's something that's really interesting about the unseens is that like it reminds you that there's people in this world that like just have nothing to do with what's going on because it's like it's not to say that you couldn't have it be tied in like, oh, these people are getting menaced by like whatever threat is going on. But like so like my, for example, so like the, some of the unseens I have, one of them is the deer of Hyde Park because the Hyde Park before it was a park was hunting grounds of deer used by the crown. And they seized that land actually from the monks of Westminster Abbey back when they um, they founded the Anglican Church. They founded the Anglican Church. They said monks don't have rights anymore. They don't get property. We get that property, actually. That's ours. We're going to use it to hunt deer. And so I was just sort of like, huh, it's like it's so interesting to think about like a family of deer wander into the city and find Hyde Park. What are they doing that night? Like what's going on with them? You know, it's a fun little sort of like I think it functions very similarly for the writer designer as it does for the players. And then it's like it's this fun little sort of cul-de-sac where it's like you have it's, it's a place where some of my ideas or even research went that didn't really fit in. In other places, you know, I'm like, huh, the deer. Well, the deer aren't a threat. They're not in the playbook. They're not part of a mastermind. Like, well, maybe they could be. But <laughs> but I was like, you know, it's a, this is a cool thing that I want to fit in. And having bringing that element of like, here's nature in London. Think about that a little bit while you are fighting ghoulies and ghosts. Like, it is really cool to have a mechanic that's so explicitly just like vibes it's like just to enhance the world. There's a um, a thing that is, and now I'm going to forget the term for it, but it's especially true in Kurosawa films and, and Miyazaki. I think this is especially true in a lot of Japanese filmmakers, but specifically Miyazaki and Kurosawa, that before moments of like big action, there is like an incredible downbeat where you just kind of see 
the world kind of removed from the main story. So it's just, you know, shots of the rain and Seven Samurai, if you're just like seeing the village, that just like allows you to remember what's at stake and keeps further establishing the world. That is the thing that really excites me about the unseen. It's like you were saying, of just it continues to build out the world without necessarily having to have stakes attached to it. But somehow that heightens everything else that comes after and before it. Something that was interesting that I think helped me even think about it a little bit is I was a I did a, a, a I was playing in a short sort of like a short semi sort of playtesting campaign of oh gosh I mean I, I only know his name from from Discord but of a of a car from Brindlewood game based around like Star Trek and Mass Effect called Voyagers which is being made by. Again, I only know him as Sully. I know that's his name. I don't <laughs> I know him on Discord, <laughs> but the sort of the equivalent of the unseens there were lower deck scenes. And so there were these like this little like squad of ensigns that we would just sort of like follow around. There was like a game night that they had. And like there was there, you know, I don't remember exactly what it's like. And that's a little bit more focused than the unseens, especially because some of those ensigns like came up in later missions and stuff like that. But 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 yeah, that kind of thing of like of thinking of like the levels of that you're playing on in the game, sort of like the kind of like an upstairs downstairs kind of drama. Right. Uh, which I think is also very sort of very British. And that was also something that I was thinking about when I was writing the the unseen. So I was like think about the ideas. I was like, OK, so like we're playing in this this, you know, like you're playing in this world of of the supernatural and of monsters, but also of like oftentimes like power players and the upper class you know it's like it's a, that's like that's a lot of like the those those people get involved in these things and so i was thinking about like okay like what are these other like what are these other things i can sort of play with in these writing it's like there's the deer i have an unseen about the nightmen which are the people who like went out and like emptied out the cesspits of london like you know like the place where all the human waste <laughs> went like where people would empty their chamber pots, basically a little bit phased out, honestly, by the sort of Victorians, you're, you're getting the sewers built and stuff like that, but they're still around and a sex worker, like on her night off, like what does she do? What, what's up with her? Like, what is she, what is she doing when she's not working that night? Trying to sort of bring it to the street level, I guess, you know, like thinking about like, yeah, like these people, like it's, Especially because all this the unseen's happen specifically at night. It's like what ha- what's happening at night that's outside of the realm of like of of the supernatural, of the dangerous, of it of like trying to face off against these threats and stuff like that. Like what are sort of more regular people doing? <laughs> I've always found that the the world building that I most get attached to, that I most remember, is never the like huge big cosmos things. It is the like small minuscule details that feel so real you can touch them. Whereas like Cosmos, you don't have a scale of it really. So it's hard to really think of. But when it's just like the deer in Hyde Park, it's like I will forever remember that. Right, right. Because my character walked past Kensington and we did these this unseen. Uh, Sadiqo, can you tell us about the mastermind that you have for this zine? Absolutely. Yeah. So the mastermind uh, for the between is sort of like the big, the big bad, like the big villain that sort of is is behind everything that you encounter very very moriarty from sherlock holmes and i found was like doing some research into like druidic practices and found that like the thames the river thames has like is just like all these different names for it It's like and one of them was tamesas t-a-m-e-s-a-s and i was like oh that's that's like just like sounds like a god's name you know and and i was like and i was just thinking about it and i was and uh, it's, it's sort of bringing up a little bit of a like under a sort of sub theme, really a, kind of a main theme, I guess, of the zine, which is like of like the environment and nature like in London. You know, there's there's Hyde Park itself. There's some stuff in the unseen, like the deer that I talk about. There's there's some of the threats are like that. But but this is specifically it's like, what if the River Thames like what if you couldn't trust the River Thames? The thing that cuts through all of London, like it's huge it's like it's important to the city. It's hugely it's like the reason the city exists because it's essentially a port town. And in the in the Victorian era, it was horrific. It was disgusting. In the 1830s, there was something happened called the Big Stink, which is like the river got so foul that like it just that the whole city stunk up 
and like people could not like live their normal lives that led directly to the London sewer system being created. And so I was like, oh, like, what if there's this like what if there's this river god who's been asleep for a long time and like the pollution has like sunk into him and like made him evil basically you know like what if he's become so, like the, the pollution of london has like caused him to become has corrupted him so that he like wakes up and he's like i'm just gonna burn this whole city to the ground there's nothing redeeming here you know love that so nico getting into the sort of the zine month of it all i, I want to ask so people listening know where are you funding when are you funding and like what are the different rewards available for people to grab yeah so i am funding this is my second zine month oh yeah we were fellow zine month 2020 oh really yeah I am back on Crowdfunder because I had a great time on that platform last year in terms of like the support that I got from the team. And like they have their own little like tabletop nonstop event that happens during February, which to me basically seems like just their version of Zine Month Zine Quest. And and yeah, I mean, like honestly, it made it a really it just made it a really, really great time. Relatively easy for me to do like with like my like first attempt at this, you know, first attempt at crowdfunding game, I was successful. I didn't exceed it by a lot. I didn't have any like stretch goals or anything like that, but it funded and I got the game in hands and I, I was happy about that. And then this time around, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more ambitious in terms of like the, the size of the campaign. And I'm sort of running a few different little experiments with it. The first one is that I've been sharing out like I, basically every two weeks or so. And actually, I'm probably going to do it later today. I've been sharing out just like the sort of early access, m semi completed, basically almost wouldn't be right to call them first drafts, but like semi completed like versions of basically everything that like the base zine will contain. So I have I've shared it's like text only. It's like it's the playbook, the mastermind, two of the threats and all four of the unseens are shared. And I'll be sharing like the third threat later today, I think. And so that was just sort of an experiment in like letting people see like, hey, read this if you're interested and you want it sort of like, you know, to have some art with it and in a zine in an sort of layout and edited, you know, feel free to contribute. I have some stretch goals, which are just adding some additional threats. Like there's two stretch goals. Each stretch goal adds an additional threat. So we'll see if we get there. Honestly, if we don't get there, I'll probably release those threats in some form eventually, but not as part of like a printed zine. The other experiment that I'm doing is of like trying to figure out like how to get how to get the printed zine in other people's hands, like who maybe might not be able to afford we might not be able to afford like getting the zine and getting it shipped. And so I have I have a tier. I have like a, a, a digital only tier, you know, financial hardship. No questions asked. You get that a digital and then a, uh, also a digital only tier, physical tier. And then above those, there are tiers to basically donate physical copies. So anyone who gets only a digital copy, whether it's the financial hardship or like the base sort of level, will basically get entered into sort of like a raffle esque thing. And based on however many physical copies are, are, are donated, I will pick, a, you know, however many people those are and like send it to them. I will have to cover shipping and stuff. I'm not exactly in this for the money per se, but like the money is nice to have. So like it could hopefully it doesn't blow up in my face. But if it does, I, that's what I have a day job for. Honestly, it's to support to support this hobby. It's an experiment there. We'll see what happens as a result of it. And, you know, ultimately it's like it it will only be as successful as other, as other people decide to be to be generous. So it's 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 I'm curious to see um, funding dates. <laughs> the funding will open tomorrow as we're filming this. So it opens January 31st and it'll run for like 15 days. So it'll close on February 14th. I do love that you're doing this experiment of trying to, you know, get physical copies in people's hands because community copies is obviously a big thing in the indie TTRPG community digitally. And it's great to see somebody trying to kind of take that model and put it into physical because, you know, that's so much of the fun of Scene Month is getting to hold those physical zines in your hands. So I really hope that goes well for you. That would, be, that would be very cool. And it feels very of the spirit of Zine Month. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how because I think that this is, especially this month, it's a time when anyone who's interested in zines and TTRPGs is really excited to sample platter, try a bunch of things, and also be really generous. And I think when people see 
something like this, they'll be particularly enthusiastic about like helping people out, spreading the love, especially for something that looks this good. In terms of the, the, the production and creation, so obviously the supplement's mostly written. Who else do you have working with you on the team on this? Yeah, so I have, my team is, interior art and layout stuff is basically just mostly going to be me. Interior art will be sort of like public domain stuff like of the time. I really plan on using... There's a fantastic book called London, a pilgrimage by this French artist, Gustave Doré, who honestly, if you've looked at any like any kind of, you know, like Victorian era, like like I don't know, London sort of not they're not woodcuts, but like sort of line drawings, like there's a decent chance you've seen something by him. He's very like prolific. But he has this incredible book called London, a pilgrimage, which is just like he went to London and like did a bunch of drawings and. Some of it's very like it, it projects that kind of like ooh, like the power of London or whatever. And but a lot of it is like surprisingly sort of dour and like and and really kind of like a harsh look at like here is what London looks like. All of these people crammed into the streets or these buildings or these workers, you know, like and it's not even necessarily like, oh, it's so squalid and awful. But it's just like it's a very sort of unromantic picture of it that I think also like lines up really well with the between the cover art is going to be done by an artist named Lane Stevens, who is someone that I met essentially completely by chance. I was back home in California over Thanksgiving and a friend of mine was at, was going to this like local like craft fair thing. While I was there, there was this artist named so their name is uh, Lane Stevens, and they had this he had this very cool like collage style like you know it's it's it is a bunch of like old magazines and like and sort of like woodcut images, it really really cool stuff which felt very honestly very similar in some ways to the the art that Amanda Lee Frank has done for the like the Gauntlet's like official the between stuff, both like the game book itself and then also like their seasons, just this sort of like chaotic kind of like mashup of, of stuff. Um, and so when I met them there, I was like, Oh, like, would you be interested in this thing? And they're like, Oh yeah, I love role playing games. And you know, it was like, I was like, Oh my God, shocking. A queer artist loves role playing games. <laughs> like imagine I'm hoping that I can say, share some kind of like, you know, over the during the campaign, like share some kind of mock up or or like sort of early version of the cover art, but at the very least can sort of share out their art. And then I also have Jonah Knight as an editor. He is he has written for uh, for Brindlewood Bay. He produces the actual play podcast Roll to Metal. I actually worked with him previously on like an anthology of Brindlewood Bay mysteries that I that I contributed to. He was the editor for it. His edits and like his suggestions for it, for the adventure that I wrote, were just like really great. Like they really not only were they, of course, you know, like stylistic and, you know, like grammatical and like figuring out like how to make sentences flow, but like he had great game designer feedback. And so I'm very excited to work with him again. Love it. Sounds like a great team. So, Nico, the final question that we like to ask everybody on this podcast is what are you bringing to the table? And this is a recommendation to give to our listeners from you and because it is zine month we would love to ask you to recommend another zine month project that our listeners should check out oh fantastic i for a sort of like full disclosure this is like a week ago the crowdfunder accounts like it was like oh like these projects are starting um and there was one that i thought sounded super cool i reached out to the creator and we sort of like decided to do a little bit of like exchange like promo stuff and so he did that on socials a little, like yesterday. I'm about to do it today, but also I'll do it now. It's called The Stone Flesh Gift. Oh, we just talked to him. Oh, you did? Literally talked to him 30 minutes ago. <laughs> That's so great. That's so great. Um, yes, The Stone Flesh Gift by Jordan Boschman. Happy to give it a shout out again uh, and as much as possible because it is so cool. It is we've just heard about it, but I'll talk. I'll, I'll hype it up anyways. It's like a body horror living ship dungeon crawl ish thing for for mothership and it's like it looks really cool i i personally am a huge fan of like body horror stuff so like the like all of the like descriptions and the details and like what you have to do to like navigate this ship is just 
Super cool. Highly recommend it. We agree. We absolutely agree. <laughs> Depending on when this episode has, comes out, you'll either have recently heard from Jordan or you'll hear from him in the coming weeks. We will link that down in the show notes. And then finally, uh, Nico, thank you so much for coming to the table. Do you want to let people know one more time where they can find you and where they can find The Hauntings of Hyde Park? Yes, absolutely. Um, I am on most social media platforms as Gigantic Spider. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, there might be some under there might be some underscores or spaces or or whatever in there, depending on the place. But uh, but you can also but the you know the I also have a card I have, uh, N MacDougal that's N M A C D O U G A L L dot card dot co, which has everything on it. And uh, the Hauntings of Hyde Park is on Crowdfunder. Just search haunt the Hauntings of Hyde Park on Crowdfunder, and you should find it. No problem. And we'll link all of those links in our show notes below so you can easily get to them. Nico, again, thank you so much for coming on. Best of luck with the hauntings of Hyde Park. Uh, wish you all the best in this lovely zine month, 2024. All right. Thank you so much for having me on. And as always, that's what the table is talking about. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you once again to Lola and Nico for joining us at the table for our second zine month special episode. We are halfway through the Zine Month special episodes here on Talk of the Table, so don't go anywhere. We have two more episodes with four more incredible designers in the coming weeks. If you want more gaming content from us, check out the 20-Sided Newsletter and the Many-Sided Media Discord. Those are both linked below. And that's what the table is talking about. Bye-bye, everybody. If you're looking for more great gaming content from everyone here at Many Sided Media, you should consider subscribing to the 20 Sided Newsletter. It's a free, bi-monthly newsletter for people who love games, make games, and just love making games. To subscribe, just go to 20sidednewsletter.substack.com or follow the link in the show notes.